Good evening, everyone. Good to see you tonight. Trust you're having a good week. We tonight find ourselves in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, we are looking at verses 7 through 12. Kind of part 2, uh, as we get in, uh, actually chapter 2, 1 through 12 goes together as a, as a section, and uh, we will talk about it. Um, Paul's ministry at Thessalonica. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. Lord, again, we thank you for the privilege to assemble, and thank you for the people of God, the blood-bought people of God, precious to you. And uh, so thank you for each one that's out tonight. Pray for the ongoing Awana youth group ministries as well. Be with all the leaders. Thank you for each one. And uh, all the students, all the kids who are here tonight, pray that you would uh, bless the the ministry of the Word above all. May the Holy Spirit uh, be in it and uh, be working in the hearts and lives of all these young people and in our lives as well as we study the Word now. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we are in uh, 1 Thessalonians, and uh, the theme here relates to uh, the day of Christ, uh, Christ coming for the church, mentioned in every chapter, and we are in chapter 2, model ministers and their, and their, re- their reward. As we uh, noted, as we taught through uh, chapter 1, in many ways, uh, Thessalonica was a model church in how they responded to the gospel and what they did after they received the gospel. The word of the Lord sounded forth in that whole region uh, from them. So they're kind of a model church in many ways. Well, we have a model ministry to go with a model church. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, might call this a, a model ministry. As Paul uh, really uh, rehearses with them the nature of their uh, ministry while they were with them. Well, when God is at work and great things are happening, what else do you suppose is happening? <clears throat> yeah, the devil is also at work, right? God's at work and the devil is at work. And uh, you know, when the devil's at work, great things are happening, what does the devil do? How does he go about trying to counteract the good things that God is doing? Well, he tries to cause upheaval in the body, and one of the ways he does this is go after the leadership, which is to try to discredit them. I mean, if you can discredit the Apostle Paul, uh, I mean, the whole thing folds, right? And that's what evidently was happening here, is uh, they were, there were people behind the scenes who were trying to uh, discredit the Apostle Paul and his team, his, uh, his, really his whole entire ministry. So, uh, initially there was a tremendous response, but now that we see there's an attack on Paul, he's he's kind of forced to defend himself, and he begins in chapter 2 by saying, our ministry among you is not in vain, as you know. It was effective, Uh, verse 1. And then he talks about how they were so bold, even in spite of the context of suffering that they had been going through, chapter uh, 2 and verse 2. And then he says that their ministry was not from error, it was truth, they didn't compromise anything. Uh, it was a ministry of truth. It was not of uncleanness. There was no moral compromise in the mix. Uh, and then it was not of deceit. Straightforward. And then, uh, you know, key verse, uh, verse 4, but as we have been approved of, by God, <clears throat> which is a, a powerful statement, <laughs> we have God's stamp of approval upon our ministry, uh, to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. So they had a God-oriented ministry. They weren't trying to please anybody else other than God. And then verse 5, we weren't flatters. Uh, We weren't there uh, out of covetousness. And uh, then to round it out, verse 6, we weren't here trying to take advantage of anybody. We weren't using our position as apostles 
to milk you for money, to t- somehow take advantage of you. We, we weren't about that at all. So really, all the way through here, he's defending his ministry. And uh, we ended last time with this. We noted that there are eight negatives in verses 1 through 6. Our coming was, uh, was not in vain, did not come uh, from error, uh, not come from uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, not as pleasing men, neither at any time do we use flattering words, nor a cloak of covetousness, nor do we uh, seek uh, glory from men. So those are the negatives. And now as we go on, uh, we will find uh, the positives, right? Uh, We have seven positives in verses 7 through 12, which we will summarize at the end of our study here tonight. But really a a ministry of integrity from both directions as far as the negatives that they weren't characterized by and now the positives that they were characterized by. And there's always both sides of that coin here as far as a ministry of integrity not this, but yes, this. Okay, uh, let's get into it. <clears throat> let's have somebody read verses uh, 7 and 8. First uh, Thessalonians 2, 7 and 8. Somebody want to read that for us? First Thessalonians, yeah, John. Okay, thank you. Notice he says we were gentle among you. How gentle were they? Really gentle. Uh, Just as a nursing mother nourishes uh, or cherishes her own children. We usually don't think about this being descriptive of the Apostle Paul, a nursing mother. (laughs) But that's the language he uses here. And uh, he's, he's really bringing out, they were not harsh. They were not harsh at all. Uh, you know, sometimes people get the reputation of being a Bible thumper, kind of harsh. And I, I think that that is true sometimes. And uh, there's a time we need to be strong, for sure. N- not not milk toast, not middle of the road, you know, yellow, you know, compromise. We're not talking that. But uh, the servant of the Lord must not strive. Uh, we're, we're not to be harsh. Yes, strong, properly understood, but not harsh. And so that's what he says here. You know, somebody wrote an article years ago. I never forgot it was well-intended dragons. <laughs> and I don't want to be a well-intended dragon because sometimes you can mean well and be well-intended and yet be a dragon in the process. Well-intended, yeah, but a dragon, which is counterproductive. We weren't that way, he says. We weren't, we weren't well-intended dragons. <laughs> Repent! You know, they didn't come off that way. Uh, it, wasn't that, it wasn't that spirit. It was gentle. We were gentle among you. Uh, a graciousness here. A graciousness. Uh, always be gracious. You're saved by grace. Be gracious. Uh, this is what defined their ministry. And I think when you're gracious, you're approachable. Uh, you know, you're, you're humble. You're gentle. Uh, we were gentle among you. How so? Just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Uh, nursing mothers are not rough with their, their children. Uh, that, that doesn't define... It's, it's a picture of, of tenderness and, and nurturing. Uh, TLC, tender loving care. This is what defined us uh, in, in your midst, he says. And then he says, as he builds on that, so affectionately longing for you. They became emotionally attached, emotionally involved with these people. They weren't even there that long, but there, there was an attachment very quickly uh, where they became dearly beloved. 
Uh, he says, so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Uh, when I was in Bible college, we had a guy by the name, of, a professor by the name of Abe Penner, which the Holmes remember, but, but he was always a, a, a gospel guy, always wanting to be a soul winner. Often we'd sing a song about soul winning at the beginning of his class. And anyway, but he was always going, in those days he'd go to the airport out here, and he was always going to the airport, and he was always challenging us to share the gospel. And he'd say, the first reason you share the gospel with somebody is not even because of your concern about that person, it's because God told you to do it. Uh, and certainly we ought to be concerned about people, but I mean, the number one thing is that God has given us the great commission. He has told us to go do it. And uh, so it starts there. We do it because God said so. So we're pleased to impart to you not only the gospel. And, uh, you know, he said there in verse 4, as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. I mean, if God entrusts you with the gospel to give it out, I mean, that's the first thing. We want to please God. That's why he gave us the gospel, uh, to share it. But then he says, uh, but also our own lives. Um, Not only did we share the gospel with you, which we were commissioned to do, but uh, also our own lives. Uh, they were sharing life with them and uh, because they love these people. You know, you, you share your life with people uh, that, and they were building their lives into these people uh, because they had come to love them and they were dear to them. And so they were building into their lives uh, sacrificially uh, because they cared about these people. Uh, they had become dear to them. What strikes me here is um, that Paul had to defend himself to these people that he loved so much and had become so close to him. I mean, you've got 12 verses of really defending his ministry. Eight negatives, seven positives. Should that really be necessary? You wouldn't think so, but when you realize the spiritual warfare we're involved in, it does become necessary. Uh, um, The power of false teachers... The, the power of people that are not even necessarily false teachers, but, but divisive. And uh, the, the, how they infiltrate and how they work, it, it is influential. It's powerful. And uh, even to where the Apostle Paul, as great a man of God as far as integrity, still had to defend himself quite thoroughly in this situation where they had become so close to these people, which is kind of a staggering thing. Same thing with uh, the church at Corinth, where Paul, you know, 2 Corinthians, has to take a whole letter to defend his ministry. Are you kidding? He won these people to the Lord. You would think if anybody would defend him and back him, it'd be these people. Not necessarily. I'm reading a book here by uh, Will Sanborn. This uh, is a guy who uh, Janie had as a youth group uh, pastor when she was, or not youth group, but uh, something with youth. Uh, She was, uh, you know a nurse at this point. So she was a little older. I don't know if it was a youth group or not, but young people or whatever. But anyway, in this book, Ouch When Ministry Hurts, he writes a lot of things. Uh, I might not agree with everything in this book, but uh, he writes like a guy who's uh, about my age and he's got some seasoning in him. And he says, uh, without question, life is hard, so why wouldn't ministry be? I've had the adventure of climbing Pikes Peak several times with my youngest son, Fantastic feeling to reach the summit, but it hasn't always been a fantastic feeling along the way. My most common physical position has been bending over and putting my hands on my knees. Breathe, Will, breathe. (laughs) I've not done this, but I'm sure it is challenging. He says, ministry is something like that. It can be exciting and fulfilling, but there are bound to be times when you wonder if it's worth it and if you can make it. 
a lot of pastors quit. It, there's tremendous spiritual warfare from a lot of different directions. And he says, so why are we so surprised when troubles, difficulties, letdowns, and failures intrude on the desires, plans, and dreams of our ministry? Really, the issue isn't so much that we will have troubles. It's whether or not we'll keep on going despite those troubles. Ah, there you go. Uh, That is the great challenge to keep on keeping on being faithful to the charge that God has given you in spite of the difficulties. But I, I really do appreciate the Apostle Paul because he never did quit. That was very discouraging at times, I'm sure. Uh, you know, uh, anybody who's been in ministry for very long uh, knows uh, that, that challenge. You had become dear to us, and yet he's having to defend himself at great length. All right. Um, okay, any other thoughts there before we go on to verse 9? Yeah. You know what? Me too, brother. You you know, I've been thinking about this and I've been thinking about Peter. (laughs) And I thought, and yet God greatly used Peter, really in spite of himself. So, so praise the Lord. He uses us, Peters. (laughs) I speak of myself first and foremost here. And uh, Peter doesn't always seem like he was the most gentle guy in the world either necessarily. But, uh, you know, God's at work in our lives and he uses us. Praise the Lord for that. it is a challenge. That's why I emphasize it for myself, you know, first and foremost, to, to be, I don't, I don't want to be a well-intended drag. I'm sure I am sometimes. Um, people have told me, you know, you, you, you come off a little strong there. Uh, my wife often tells me this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we want to be, we want to be gentle. We want to be gracious. Uh, you know, I, I really love Brother Kurt Sorensen. He always emphasizes to me, we need to be gracious. We need to be gracious. Yeah, that's so true. All right. Uh, any other thoughts? Very good. Let's have somebody read verse 9. Who wants to read verse 9 for us? Yeah. Levita. Okay. So, very good. Notice again, he says, for you remember, he's, he's uh, recalling with them, uh, the nature of their ministry. You remember, brethren, our labor and toil. La- labor is hard work, is the idea. That word labor is, is hard work, hard labor. And toil, uh, toil was a, a word used of travail, uh, such as when a woman is travailing in childbirth. And so it's the idea of painful, painful labor. Uh, this was not easy. Uh, you remember, brethren, our labor and toil. It was challenging. For laboring night and day, laboring night and day, it was hardful, uh, it was painful, and it was intense. It was intense. Uh, No wonder, you know, you think about ministry of the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, it was was challenging. I I can understand a little bit why maybe John Mark wanted to go home, you know. Uh, I, I need a little vacation time here, Paul. Uh, it, it was challenging. It, it was not fun and games. This was work, hard work, night and day. Please, we do get a Sabbath day rest, right? I don't, I don't know what his principle was there, but anyway, they were working night and day. That's all he says here. And uh, it was a, it was a challenging uh, ministry in that sense. He was a tent maker, 
And uh, the, the emphasis here seems to be laboring night and night, not only just sharing the gospel, which they were doing, that's the, the emphasis in context, but also working so they wouldn't be a burden to anybody at Thessalonica. And, and uh, so, you know, he was a tent maker. I don't know if he was making tents here. I, I, you know, I don't know what they're doing night and day constantly. But he says they were doing this that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. Um, this is interesting because Thessalonica was in the province of Macedonia. Right there. Uh, right there in, in uh, Macedonia. Now, what's interesting is Paul when he writes to the Corinthians, says this, Moreover, brother, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Thessalonica is one of those churches. That in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. So he's talking about, there's some deep poverty going on. These churches were not wealthy churches. Uh, They were lacking. They were known for their poverty. And so it's in that context that he says, uh, we were working night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you. Uh, Now we know, as we think about everything that the Apostle Paul had to say, uh, note it was not that Paul and those on the missionary team did not have the right to be supported. They did, as Paul spells out in 1 Corinthians 9. In fact, he says, you know, what God has ordained, even the Lord has commanded, that those who preach the gospel should live uh, from the gospel. So, and he's saying, really, we had the, the right to do so, but they chose not to uh, take support. Uh, it is normal that those involved in full-time gospel ministry, ministry should be supported in that work by those uh, to whom they minister. This is the command of the Lord. However, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul quickly adds, but I have used none of these things. And goes on to say, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Paul was very um, sensitive to his role of apostle and not misusing it. Uh, now, he had the right to be supported, but he didn't want to misuse it in any way. Um, let's see what my next uh, slide is. Yeah. Uh, Paul's full orb teaching is that indeed he had the right to be supported in his ministry, but he did not use that right, which was his prerogative. He did not want anything to be a potential hindrance to the gospel ministry. And so they work night and day, burning the candle on both ends. Uh, that works for a while, and maybe for a long while if you're a single man with Paul's gifts. But the Lord's command comes with wisdom for most of us in the church age. Uh, to violate this principle is to shortchange the quality of one's ministry. If you work all day, uh, when do you have time to study? Uh, yes, Paul did it, but I submit to you, in many ways, Paul was exceptional and not the norm. Uh, I think he was an unusually gifted man in lots of ways. And uh, certainly, you know, he said, I'm not using this, but he does also spell out what God has generally ordained in the norm uh, for the church age as you study the whole counsel of his teaching. But notice what he says in that context that we were laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And in that context, he says, we preach to you the gospel of God. Now, again, uh, you know, he mentions this uh, three times. I think gospel of God, certainly uh, the source is God. It's the gospel of God. But there does seem to be an emphasis on the, uh, the content. We preach to you what? Well, the gospel. We preach to you the gospel, the good news of God. And uh, so that would, uh, you know, be a, a strong indication, you know, that we're talking about 
the gospel of God that relates to Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Christ, uh, as he says, other places. Uh, like I say three times here in this, in this context, we're bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. Uh, again, the, the message. Uh, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, that's what we're talking about here, and then uh, we preach to you the gospel of God. So tremendous emphasis all the way through here. Um, four times in this uh, text here, in chapter 2, 1 through 12, four times he talks about the gospel. Everything was really being done to promote the gospel. Uh, everything they're going through is all about the gospel. Our great concern is the gospel and getting the gospel out to these people. They weren't there very long, but boy, it was an intense time of, of ministry, uh, working night and day, and in that context, uh, sharing the gospel with them. All right. Um, okay. Any other thoughts there before we move on to uh, the next section here? All right. Who wants to read verses 10 through 12 for us? Somebody's had a hand up. Yeah, Jeff? Okay, thank you. So he says, you are witnesses. And again and again, he appeals to them as witnesses and and what they knew. And uh, really the overwhelming firsthand evidence of the character of their ministry. And so he's emphasizing, it kind of picks up where he started this way back in chapter 1. Well, I guess, did I not share this already? Paul at this point calls them out as witnesses and says that God is also a witness. Everyone involved, including God, knows how they behave themselves among these new believers. And then, uh, like I was saying, he's really tracking all the way back to chapter 1 in verse 5 where he says, Our gospel did not come into you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance. And part of this package was, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Uh, their character was shining through. And, and he's emphasizing this right from the very first chapter. Like I say, it's like in the background, he's having to defend himself against detractors who are coming in and saying, you know what, that Paul, he's got some problems. And he's reminding them, no, we really did have a, a ministry of integrity when we were among you. So the critics were challenging Paul and his teammates' integrity. But the Thessalonians knew better firsthand. They were there. They saw it for themselves. Uh, if they would think logically, the truth would be self-evident. And again, it is kind of amazing to me that the devil would have the audacity to try to come in and undermine Paul and his team. Are you kidding? All these things that he's describing here. And yet the devil is a master at doing this stuff. But he says, you are witnesses in God also. He appeals even to God how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. Devoutly is, is pious, the idea of, of in a holy manner, uh, a set-apart manner, and justly, that which is right and proper. Uh, nothing was out of order in terms of how we handle ourselves. And blamelessly, blamelessly is, is the idea of being above reproach. There was no legitimate criticism of, of how they carried on and, and how they handled themselves. Nothing was there that would disqualify them. Uh, even though these critics are bringing up stuff, uh, really didn't have anything on them, and he says that you know we, we we did nothing here. There's nothing on us. It doesn't keep the devil from bringing up stuff anyway. But there wasn't anything. Uh, we we were blameless, he says. 
Someone has said that the best sermons are those lived out, or the best sermon is a holy life. That, that's part of it. We see both in the text. We see the bold preaching that seeks to please God in verse 4, but we also see blameless living that enhance the preaching. Uncompromised gospel preaching and uncompromised living make for a powerful one-two punch. God insists on both. It is the key to an effective and powerful ministry. And so there is that kind of two-pronged emphasis all the way through here. So he says, uh, you are witnesses, how we, how we lived and how we behaved among you who believe. Any thoughts there before I go on to verse 11? Okay, verse 11. As you know, goodness, he's stuck on this, isn't he? Yeah, look at, he's stuck. Verse 1, you yourselves know. Verse 2, as you know. Verse 5, as you know. Verse 9, for you remember. Verse 10, you are witnesses. Verse 11, as you know. You think he's telling me anything they didn't know? <laughs> Not much. They knew this. He's just re- reminding them. You know, you know, you know. Why does he have to say this so often? I think because the critics were getting to some of the people, perhaps. And Paul's doing everything he can to guard that flock. And the way, in this case, he has to defend himself in the process. You say, well, you shouldn't have to do that. I agree. Shouldn't have to do that. These people knew better. They should have known better. I mean, it was blameless. The credibility was above reproach in every way. I mean, he mentions it every way you can think of here. As you know, how we exhorted. Exhort means to encourage, to encourage in a strengthening way. You know how we exhorted. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's speech that tears down and there's speech that builds up. Exhorters seek to, to build up. Uh, it can involve lots of things. It can involve entreaty, instruction, and challenge. But it's ultimately intended to encourage, uh, to strengthen. Uh, you know how we exhorted and comforted. Uh, comfort is the idea of to, to calm, to console. Uh, and, uh, you know, that fathers, there's a balance here. He says, as, as a father... Uh, fathers are protective, right? They're protective of their children. And, uh, and then he says, and charged. We exhorted uh, comfort and charged. Uh, charge means to I- implore. Uh, it, it's to affirm in a very serious way as to emphasize responsibility and accountability. And that was part of it too. Every one of you, personally, uh, you know, no two kids are the same. No two children are the same. They were dealing with everyone personally. Every one of you. You know how we exhorted, comforted, and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. I love there's a beautiful balance in this, in this whole section here. We've got the mother emphasis up earlier, right? And here we have the father emphasis. And, you know, that's kind of like God ordained the, the perfect balance here. Uh, moms are more the nurturers. Dad's more the disciplinarians. You say it was a sad day when they had to take that long walk back to my office. I mean, you could hear the howling begin. <laughs> it, was, it was fear and trepidation. I, I always had a hard time laughing because these kids were so terrified. It was like, what are you so scared of? I'm a gentle guy here. But uh, it was, you know, th- there is a balance there. And we see that balance here. Um, with the, the nurturing emphasis in, in verse 7, as far as the mother. And yet, the, you know, the exhorting, the comforting, and the charging uh, as a father here. Uh, verse, uh, not verse, next slide here. The emphasis on mother is nurturing. 
The emphasis on father is guidance. The father's role is one of uh, being the primary disciplinarian, the benevolent overseer and, and caretaker. There's a beautiful balance uh, that's presented there. Uh, let's see. Yes, sir. Insisting? Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking it's not necessarily a suggestion, right? Yeah. yeah. Charge is kind of a strong word, like you are giving a charge. You know, this is the, what you should do. There's a, firm, there's a firmness in, in charge. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's where he goes here. That's where he goes, how they should now live. And again, it's, it's in the context of giving a charge. You know, I'm not suggesting this. I'm charging you. This is how you need to live. In a firm way, as a father would do with a, a child that he's concerned about. Yep. Absolutely. That's, you know what? I often say we're all leaders. Every, every, every husband is the, is the head of his home, whether he likes it or not. And you're, you're going to be a leader. It might be a bad one. But you're going to be a leader. you're either a good leader or a bad leader, you know. And I think good leaders have the balance. There's gentleness and yet there's firmness, and there's a, there's a, there's a grace there as far as hitting that right balance, you know. And even being elders, if you don't know how to you know head up your own home well, you shouldn't be an elder. I mean, there is a balance that is there in good leadership for sure. Okay, um, let's see. I got a few other slides here. Uh, it's amazing that with this uh, quality of ministry, the danger was still there that Satan could potentially get a foothold through his agents and turn believers against Paul and his team. The power of satanic activity to turn people against a ministry of integrity is great. We see that here. This is the stuff of spiritual warfare. And it is war. I always talk about, you know, John MacArthur said when he first got in the ministry, it seemed like a honeymoon. And then as we went along, it seemed like work. And then as I finally got to where I was going, it was war. Well, it is. It's war. Uh, this is Gary Gilly, Pastor Gary Gilly. By the way, Gary Gilly is coming to the Man Up Conference. I hope you guys can come to that. I really have great respect for Pastor Gary Gilly. Um, talk about, he's not only a pastor, not only a theologian, but he's a scholar. And he does the homework. A lot of times when there's an de- issue out here, I- I'll go and see what Gary Gilly thinks. because He's read the books on it. He reads all these books. I don't know where he gets all the time to read all these books, but he does. Uh, most, chief, uh, most church leaders want to avoid conflict at all costs. Yeah, I'd like to avoid conflict, if possible. That's one reason I'm looking forward to going to heaven, right? You won't say, well, there, ended up, there was a fight over here on the Golden Avenue. No, it's not going to happen. Uh, but, you know, you can't do that if you're going to be faithful. You can't avoid conflict at all costs. Uh, they were not attracted to church leadership to do battle, but to help people. Little do they know that doing battle is a key ingredient in helping people. Pastors should prepare for two enemies who will show up regularly in every church and in every ministry. Personal attacks and conflicts. Number one, we could put there, personal attacks and conflicts. And the second is false teaching. Yeah, I think there's some wisdom there. Again, guy's really seasoned, been around for a long time. Uh, Knows what he's talking about there. Indeed, that is true. Um, so, as we uh, wrap up this and summarize the seven uh, positives, uh, we were gentle, affectionately longing for you. We were pleased to impart to you uh, the gospel of God. N- not only the gospel, but uh, uh, also our own lives, as it goes on to say in verse 8. Laboring night and day, uh, positively. Uh, 
devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved. Exhorted, comforted, and charged as a father. So these are, these are the seven positives. So as I say, eight negatives, seven positives, really defining his, his ministry throughout here. Okay. Um, all right. Anything else before we go come to the final verse? Okay, let's uh, finish out. It's to this end. We were gentle. We were charging you in that proper balance. But to what end? That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Wow, that you would walk worthy. Uh, What's a worthy walk look like? Well, uh, note uh, before we go there, William MacDonald says, In ourselves we are unworthy of God or of a place in heaven. The only worthiness we have is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as sons of God, we are expected to walk worthy of the high calling. So we don't, we don't make ourselves worthy of heaven, that's for sure. Uh, we have Im- imputed righteousness. It's put to our account on the basis of grace, on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And when we put our faith in him, he puts Christ's righteousness to our account. So we are not uh, worthy of heaven. And uh, we don't... Uh, we don't expect uh, the, the unbeliever to, to live this way. Sometimes people do, you know. People say, okay, uh, we're looking at your life. And way back here before you were a Christian, you had some great sin in your life. Well, who didn't before you were a Christian? Uh, really, the, the track record in terms of your walk, you don't really start walking. Uh, I mean, you're a dead man unwalking until you get saved. But your walk begins when you are a Christian. And, and that becomes the, the issue as far as even considering character qualifications and so forth. Um, but walk worthy. You know, when I was uh, working in the body shop, we had a guy who used to say sometimes, oh, it's good enough for who it's for. <laughs> Different places where I worked, they would say that. It was like, eh, this doesn't really matter. Good enough for who it's for. Well, when you think about your walk, uh, is it good enough for who it's for? It's for God. It's for God. Uh, walk worthy of God. I mean, we represent God on this earth. That's who we are. We're God's people. Uh, walk worthy of God. Uh, what, what is a worthy walk? What do you suppose is a worthy walk? Perfection. Yeah, well, that's true. None of us are there. Uh, so I think, you know, you can walk in a worthy manner in a consistent lifestyle, which is really what? Spirit-filled life. Spirit-filled life. Uh, a God-like life as a way of life realizing none of us have reached glory yet. Paul says, not that I have attained in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. So, you know, we're, we're all in process. But I think that we can, we can live Christ-like lives as a way of life. Uh, there, there can be a consistency. That, that's really what he's describing here. I think he's describing what he calls a, a God-approved life. As he said in verse 4, remember what he said there? But as we have been approved by God... Um, when you're walking the life, uh, God knows it. It's, it's evident to everyone. Uh, we can walk worthy of God because now, even though uh, people like to say, well, you know, I'm a sinner. I'm still a sinner. Really, the emphasis in the New Testament is not that you're a sinner. What is the emphasis in the New Testament? You are now a saint. That's your identity. You are a saint who sometimes sins. You're not a sinner who once in a while occasionally saints, right? Uh, Really, your identity in Christ is holy. Uh, You are set apart uh, to Christ. 
And now you're to, you're to live according to that position. Again, none of us are going to be perfect until we get to glory. We're, we're, there is no perfection here. But uh, we are in process of becoming more like Christ. We now have a new nature that desires holiness. We now have the Holy Spirit that is wed with our nature. Uh, and that changes the realities of, of life. Um, we can now walk worthy. We can walk in a worthy manner that when we meet our maker, he'll say, well done. You were walking worthy. I'm pleased with your life and how you've lived. We can live that way by the grace of God. Uh, you know, we should not live any length of time with known sin in our life, right? As soon as you know you got sin in your life, what should you do? Lord, forgive me. I don't know about you, but I have to do this on a regular basis. Dare I say daily? <laughs> Hourly? <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't want anything in between. We just want as a way of life. We're walking in the Spirit. You know, not, not in the flesh. We don't want anything to get in between there. You say, boy, that's a little strong. Well, yeah, let's listen to Peter. Right? I mean, Peter, uh, he who called you is holy. You also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. You know, that's an Old Testament quote, so I'm not sure we need to live according to that anymore. Oh, uh, Peter's writing in the New Testament. He's quoting the Old Testament. Sounds like things haven't changed there as far as the holy requirement in terms of our walk. Uh, what, what's a walk worthy of God? I think it's a holy walk. It's a holy walk. It's set apart for God. And it's consistent with what Paul has been emphasizing in terms of what characterized their walk all the way through. And now he says, we, as those who led you to the Lord, as a father charges his own children, we want you to walk this way. And, and uh, what is our destiny? Walk worthy of God who calls you. You are called. As believers, you are called. And what are you called to? Uh, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You have a kingdom destiny as God's people. This is your calling. You have a kingdom calling. This is, this is where you're going to end up. This is, this is the final goal. This is the final destiny. Positionally, we're already there. He's conveyed us into the kingdom, uh, Colossians 1.13. But practically, we're not there yet. And uh, we're, we're headed there. But uh, we're not there yet. But we're called. We're called to the kingdom. And... Uh, Notice, calls us into his own kingdom and glory. To God's glory. We're called to glory. Uh, you know, it is amazing to think about that we are going to share intimately in the glory of God when it's all said and done. Um, I can't imagine what that's like. Uh, you know what this means is we are going to see God's face. We are going to see God in all of his pure holiness and, and glory. Uh, you know, nobody can see God and live in these mortal bodies. The Bible is very clear. It's just too overwhelming to kill us, right? But we are going to see God. Uh, and when we see him, we will be like him. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, talking about the, uh, the golden city, the new Jerusalem. I saw no temple in it. You know, a temple is, uh, you know, the place where, where God lives, which is right now inside of us. But in this city, I saw no temple. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. I mean, it's, an, it's kind of like uh, we live in the, the context of God. He, he himself is the temple. And then uh, it says, The city had no need of the sun nor of the moon to shine in it for, for the glory of God. The glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And then you go into chapter 22. Speaking of his servants, they shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. This is us. 
we will see his face. We, we have been called to share in his kingdom and his glory. Can't imagine what that's going to be like. Uh, but Spurgeon made a great comment. He said, time is short. Amen. I speak as a 65-year-old, you know. I'm, I'm getting there, right? Uh, how long do we have? Three, three score and ten? Mercy. Time is short. <laughs> time is short. Eternity is long. It's only reasonable that this short life be lived in light of eternity. Uh, yeah, that is so true. Keep the kingdom in mind, for it is about to come into full view, right? Keep the kingdom in mind. Let that be our motivation, eternal, an eternal perspective. Uh, and walk worthy of God who calls us to his own kingdom and glory. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? I want to keep this as our perspective. So easy to get sidetracked, right? All the stuff in the world here. It's like they're beating a drum over here that distracts us. It's easy to get our focus off the kingdom. Just like the devil, what? Yeah, yeah, he's beating the drum over here. Yeah, 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 distracting. Yeah, that's true. All right. Any other things? Okay, let's go ahead and share some prayer requests. Uh, Anybody need a prayer sheet here?